Must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of There's No I In Podcast, a podcast about teams, being in teams, leading teams, making the best out of your team. Uh, I'm Mark Johnson, a performance maker and a performance teacher, joined, as always, with uh, sports coach Sean Gallagher. Very excited for this week. I am joined, as always, by my co-pilot, Sean. How are you doing? I am very well, thank you, Mark. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to our guest this week. Um, Not someone I uh, had met before. This one came via you. Uh, But I just, it felt like I had so much juice to it. No, definitely, definitely. Dan is a super intelligent guy. Um, You know, he is very experienced. Uh, He's worked at all different levels, you know, from, as we said, kind of the Olympic elite level uh, and down to kind of your grassroots uh, working in schools. So, you know, there's a real kind of um, breadth to his work. um, And I think we got a taste of that in this episode for sure absolutely so the dan that sean is talking about is daniel lavapore daniel is an elite strength and conditioning coach he'll introduce himself properly in the episode but he's worked across a whole bunch of different events and a whole bunch of different uh levels of the sports and uh as a strength and conditioning coach and he just he had something insightful to say about everything we threw at him in this chat so uh, I don't even want to hold it up anymore let's get straight over to the chat with Daniel Lavapore. Teamwork. So joining us today is uh, Daniel Lavapore. Daniel is a uh, strength and conditioning coach and a sports coach of a number of different teams. I couldn't mention them all in one go. Uh, Hello Daniel. Hello good to be with you guys. (laughs) It's brilliant to have you on. Um, did you want to do yourself more justice and give us a little rundown of your journey, where you come from, what you've been up to? Yeah, no problem. So uh, my job title is strength and conditioning coach. I think going right back to the beginning, more than anything, I'm a failed athlete. <laughs> and my background is athletics. And, and through trying to be faster and, and beat the guys I'm running against, I tried to understand uh, sports science and, and my own performance and, and got into, into the field, which became the profession I'm in. Uh, my first serious job after my degree, which was in sports science, was in New Zealand. And I worked for their version of the English Institute of Sport, which is called High Performance Sport New Zealand. Yeah. And like the EIS, we supported all the national programs who were either involved in Olympic programs or if they sat outside that as well. And I predominantly worked in endurance sports, Amazing. So kayak, rowing, triathlon, athletics. But I also worked quite extensively in netball which has been a great sport to me. And I continue to work in it now with London Pulse over here in the UK. And netball was also the sport I did my master's in, which was in biomechanics, trying to understand how athletes could land in safe, with safer strategies and, and prevent some of the serious injuries we have uh, in netball, namely ACLs and other injuries right, as well. Yeah. And then from my time in New Zealand, I moved over to the UK. I worked for the EIS and the British Olympic Association, leading their national rehab program out of Bishop Abbey. And this was a residential program where any athlete from any of the Olympic sports, if they were hurt, could come live with us. And we try and accelerate their rehab with a, an interdisciplinary team there. So we had a doctor, physio, myself as the s coach, 
nutritionist, sports psych, etc. Yeah. And then from there, I went to work in a school running a high school strength and conditioning program. That's where I met Sean. And uh, since then, I've gone on to work with London Pulse, uh, a netball team in the Super League. And I also work for the FA supporting our international football teams across the men's and women's programs. Incredible. So you've kind of been been there, done that in so many different fields, bunch of different events. Yeah, it's kind of it's, it's it, I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Well, hopefully I can offer something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's done he's done one or two things, Mark, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Dan, hello. Hello. Good to see you. Good to <laughs> yeah, see you Dan. from lockdown. Exactly, exactly. Dan, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I guess a little bit of background as to how I know Dan as well. So we were on uh, a PE P conference um, and Dan was one of the guest speakers. Um, and yeah, it was kind of my first real sort of look into uh, strength and conditioning, especially kind of at a school level, um, which was what the kind of talk was about from Dan, trying to introduce S&C into schools and, and get and get PE teachers, directors of the sports to understand the importance of s in yeah. schools. Um, and what I was really impressed with was, uh, Dan's probably going to laugh if he can remember, but there was one, one lady um, who stood up and kind of went off about golf uh not being uh you know not not being uh one of the main kind of uh factors within s and c and dan kind of had it down it? the exactly walk. yeah it uh dan had it quite down the list um in terms of how um what's the word i'm looking for dan how uh, strenuous it may be let's say well i, uh, I was presenting on th- this idea that the, the contents of a physical education curriculum mm. have an effect on how the kid's going to leave that that program. Yeah. And if your your PE curriculum is built around sports that have more or less activity, the kids are going to have a different physiological adaptation at the end of that yeah. program. So I gave the example that AFL, uh, AFL pl- players cover a high amount of minutes in a given time uh, at one end, and then you would have football and hockey, etc. But right down the other end, you have golf. And the, the PE teacher was, a, was a, a big golf fan or a big golf player. And, and she was taking her kids and her curriculum through golf. And she thought it was as good as any sport to be included in a PE curriculum. And even now I'm going <laughs> to kind of cover my back and say, you know, it is, it is a great sport and there's many great things to it. But if you're expecting your kids to come out with the same aerobic or anaerobic adaptation yeah. in golf compared to AFL that wouldn't be the case and i think that's that is that is an interesting thing about that because snc is one of the more successful programs at our college as far as as physical education goes it's probably the broadest invites them the most diverse set of students in um requires a lot less physical space than golf um, but I can imagine that golf from a sports psychology point of view there's a real level of teaching or a level of coaching there that is on the same lines as AFL or any of any of the really kind of intensive physical sports but it ain't going to get your heart pumping <laughs> right right there is a uh, version of golf called speed golf where you run between the tees and that would have the have the effect we're maybe talking about but <laughs> Conventional uh, golf won't build your aerobic system like AFL. Yeah, Mark. Mark, just to just to um, add on to the end of that uh, chat about the conference, because I was trying to tie it yeah, into to us meeting <laughs> rather than rather than golf. Um, 
what I, what I really uh, but what I was really impressed with was, was Dan was how he answered the question, how he spoke to the the lady that uh, about golf and kind of just gave his very academic approach to things uh, and was really calm and collected. And it, I just got a really good approach off of him um, from someone that I'd only just kind of met um, and and listened to. And from then on, it kind of really gave me a buzz about SNC. And so I grabbed his email address afterwards and we stayed in contact that way. And then Dan helped to introduce our SNC program at the school that we work at. And that's how we met. But um, no, I was really impressed when I first met him. And I don't actually say that too often about people. So He's never said it about me. Well, I'm going to go back and listen to the other podcast and see what you said about the guest there. But I appreciate it, Sean. Good man, good man. So I have a kind of a starter question. So the, the the premise of the of the podcast obviously is we talk a lot about teams in the working in the collaboration sense and we've landed a couple of times over and over about how separation of roles within teams becomes really important and the placement of the coach in relationship to the people who are competing or in my sense performing. And as this kind of satellite coach where rehab or strength and conditioning might not be directly related to the skills or the playing of the game ultimately from a technical level where do you consider yourself as part of those teams do you do you feel integrated do you try and make sure that you're integrated into those coaching situations yeah it's a great question and strength and conditioning it's probably the most unique role within the sports science support team mm. in that you're a little bit of everything. Yeah. So you are a little bit of coaching because there's that element of instruction, yeah. just like the head coach has. Yeah. But you're a bit of biomechanics as well because you're trying to understand movement and enhance the technical capabilities of the athlete. You have to often touch on nutrition because the nutrition of the athlete influences the adaptation that you'll see in the weight room. But at the same time as being a little bit of nutrition, you're not the nutritionist and you're yeah. not the biomechanist, but you do cross over each of these roles. Now, as an SNC coach, you work in lots of programs as opposed to a head coach who only works on one. And in each of the programs you work in, you often fulfill a slightly different role depending on that team and what that head coach wants from you, but also the nature of the sport. So within netball, I take on a little bit more of a coaching role and I spend a lot more a lot of time with the players trying to influence them as a coach again under the direction of the head coach in a way that I don't quite do or I didn't quite do when I worked in say rowing where I was there to fulfill more of a, a, a role purely around influencing what happens in the weight room in yeah. terms of the sets and reps and and targeting a specific physical adaptation and that was to do with the amount of contact time I didn't have with them in rowing as well you know, they were with me for, you know, two hours a week versus I'm with these netballers, maybe five, six, seven hours a week, depending on the, the different weeks. So, you know, to answer the question, it changes and it changes, like I said, based on the sport or the, the direction with the head coach. How quickly have you had to adapt um, your kind of style or just your mentality going into any new project, Dan, if it is changing? You know, it was was it kind of a shock to the system in your early days going from each different SNC program, or is it something you quickly understood, you know, okay, it's going to be a different environment in each place and I'm able to be adaptable and flexible within it? Yeah, great question. 
I've come to learn that each sport has its own way of doing things and um, culture and, and feel to it. You know, swimmers are different people to, to football players and rowers, etc. And And you do have some quite significant personality types that you see dominate a, a particular sport. You know, take swimming, which I just mentioned. It takes a special kind of person to get in the pool at 6 a.m. every morning and look at a black line going yep. up and down. <laughs> and, you know, you compare that to a game like football, which is all about communicating with different mm. people. And it's quite a social environment. You get these two different types of personalities but then within each of those two different groups you have a, a whole big range yeah. of personalities as well and your role as a coach is to quickly figure out the the nature of the sport and the types of people in front of you and do you find yourself changing your personality or you know kind of chameleoning into a football persona or a netball persona or a swimming persona as the snc coach or do you bring danness and try and make that the consistency do you find yourself switching or do you try and bring the, yeah. the solid person no there, there's definitely a chameleoning thing going on but i wouldn't say it's you know when you you rock up to football you become you know a football lad and when you you know go to another sport you become the type of personality personality that that you see there, yeah. but you definitely have to shift um, some elements of the way you communicate yeah. and and structure the session, tone and vocabulary. Mark, and, and... He, he turns up in his Lamborghini when he's doing football S and C, and you know the Ford Fiesta when uh, some other sports. <laughs> <laughs> that's his. That's in his different roles. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say on on the point of kind of almost teams within teams, as you sort of mentioned, um, the different personalities that can pop up even in, you know, um, in the swimming team and then the football team or netball team. Do you see a different personality from players and athletes outside of their training time and outside of their performance time? Do you see a kind of Jekyll and Hyde approach where they can be very relaxed kind of when they're not in competition and having a chat with you, etc.? And then some people that just can't switch off. Yeah, I, I think typically, you know, most people are quite consistent and you can get a lot of clues from their, their personal life as to how they'll, um, how, how they'll be and compete and train in their professional sporting life. And that's why it's so important to get to know people as people. You know, they're not just, not just athletes, they're people as well. And, and the more you can understand them, the more you can be empathetic to them and then ultimately try and influence them and the way they want to be influenced which is to get better sometimes you know some personality traits like you know are masks for other things so that extrovert might actually be quite vulnerable right and you can't let that uh, their extrovertness if that's a word be the, the 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 part of their personality which you think defines them there might be a whole other side to them and um, I guess the point I'm trying to make is understanding them in all their environments helps you build up a picture to influence them in the one environment you have responsibility for supporting them in. Yeah. Um, we talk uh, a fair amount, comes up quite a lot, the idea of tying a team together with a goal, with a, with a, a shared purpose. And we've talked about it in terms of those players kind of sharing a purpose or the performers from from my background the the actors or whoever sharing this show that they're trying to put on what i'd be interested to hear from you about is it sounds like that communication of purpose 
amongst the different coaches and and the team around the team how do you guys build a consistent vocabulary or a consistent message uh, about what you will want to achieve as a team typically there's one head coach and quite a clear hierarchy of support underneath and that's not to say the hierarchy means the head coach dominates everyone else it means that, that everyone else is there to support them so in terms of trying to get a clear team purpose together i guess what's quite interesting when you hear coaches speak at presentations after they've been successful they can reference the clear purpose they were able to to uh, to instill in the team and everyone bought into it but from my experience every team i've worked in has worked towards building some clear purpose within the team but they didn't necessarily win mm. and it's quite right it's quite easy on reflection to to think that you know that that purpose and some of those um cultural elements that you built into the team were the the reason for the team being successful and that's not always always the case right. maybe to bring the the question back to my my environment is how do i make the the purpose of strength and conditioning live for the players and for the coaches probably at the start of my career i talked a lot more in terms of the the within the language of sports science and biomechanics and and um yeah and whatnot but it didn't always stick so trying to explain to an athlete why they need to improve, say, their rate of force development through hip extension, to me, that means a lot. But to the athlete, it does, didn't necessarily resonate. So now I try and tell right. <laughs> more of a story around some of these biomechanical or, or um, qualities that exist within sports science. So, for example, within netball right now, we have some themes. One of them is you need to win aerial ball, which is another way of saying we need to be able to jump high. And we need to be able to play on both sides. That means we need to pass off our right hand and our left hand. Now, the other way to turn playing off both sides, which means being ambidextrous, mm -hmm. is to have good unilateral competency, right? <laughs> now, no one's, no one's getting too excited about that when I have that yeah, in, yeah. in the session brief, right? So I found storytelling around these qualities is a much better way to sell it. And are you working, Dan, are, are you sitting down in a room with the coaches and discussing that language and discussing that this is a better way to take it or is this your experiences of seeing sort of blank faces inside the gym when you talk about you know unilateral competency and you're just going away and self-reflecting as a coach um and coming back with a different approach it's both it's so that the objectives in the weight room must meet the objectives of the head coach and quite often they'll always be the same things but if i can tie what I think is important in the gym to what the coach wants and the players understand, it's going to live much more in terms of driving the team forward and, and, tie, and build into that purpose that we're all working towards. And then, you know, the second part of what you said is, yeah, there have been times where you've seen blank faces when you're trying to fire everyone up <laughs> and you realize the language was wrong. We all have. Yeah, we all have. <laughs> because storytelling is my jam. Uh, I wanted to quickly ask about, I can imagine when you're in a uh, high pressure environment or a highly competitive environment where that goal to win championships or win medals is up there. And particularly, I'm imagining for you when you're rehabbing, do you have to, or how do you manage to communicate, stop pushing? Like take it, to take your foot off the pedal a bit. Do you, do you find you have to do that as much as kind of, 
pushing to improve that you have to stop people from going too far? It's, it's such an insightful question. And not all athletes, but most athletes want to push all the time. If I do more, I'll get better quicker or rehab faster. Correct. But you can't push all the time. And if you push the same thing all the time, you're definitely going to break. But what you can do is push different things on different days and you can still leave that accent, that athlete with their hip. Mm. And I often make the analogy that, that all athletes are like alcoholics and they just walked into a pub when they walked into the gym <laughs> and they want to do everything. They want to have every shot that's available, but you know, you, you just can't do it and you need you to need recognize to bartend for them. Right. Today you're bartending today. You are nice. Uh, you, yeah. You're shooting pool. Who, th- who thought we'd be talking about alcohol <laughs> with a uh, high performance SNC coach? <laughs> <laughs> but with, you, know, you asked about rehab as well. And, and when I worked uh, for the British Olympic Association in rehab, we had a phrase and, and the phrase was injuries and opportunity. And it's an opportunity to do all the things you don't usually do because you're so distracted with the main stuff you're always working on in your sport. So maybe you're, you have the ability to work on mobility or balance or posture or a strength of a muscle that doesn't form the basis of your daily training when you're healthy. I think, uh, I don't know if you've been watching the Michael Jordan documentary uh, on Netflix, Dan. I'm sure you'll get around to it at some point. I know you've got a little one, so you're probably very busy at the moment. But um, if you do get around to it, I don't think Jordan was injured at this time, but he just kind of had a season in the league and he just got bullied physically um, and just fouled on so often and he didn't want to take the beatings anymore. And so he just spent, you know, his time in his off season just really bulking up and getting stronger and came back and kind of just beasted, you know, the league after that. And I think, again, have you had those kind of situations where players have sort of had a bit of a moment and said, Dan, like, I'm a good player. I have all the kind of technical abilities and skills and attributes, but I really do want to be a beast on that court or a beast in this sport. Yeah, and often injury is the gateway into that. Right. You know, a lot of uh, less talented athletes like myself, and I remember at the beginning I said I was that failed that failed runner, our our um our solution to trying to be better was to go in the gym and and work hard and outwork everyone else, but more talented people don't necessarily arrive at that same solution because they're so good anyway and when it comes to physical prep it's just not valued because they value their skill at the sport more than anything but when you get hurt you realize that there was an element missing in your physical preparation and now it's time to start to invest in that area of of your preparation that you didn't necessarily value before no it's interesting a kind of negative then gets turned into a positive and ultimately makes this the athlete uh, and person stronger and physically more durable, I guess, for, for a longer a longer season. Yeah. On that yeah. on that subject, um, not to dwell on failure, but I love failure. Failure is kind of how I work. Try something out, get it wrong, coming back. When it's something like uh, injury, how do you approach the the mental recovery, the the mindset stuff that? Um, that might stop a player while they're physically able to rehab, just not play the same way. Uh, how do you, how do you in the in the rehab process identify where that might be coming up and re- and a- approach it? Yeah, great question. So we used to, well, I, I still use this method, but but I got it from my time with, with the British Olympic Association. 
is we'd approach injury like solving problems. And what you do at the start of the process is write down all the problems that you see. And let's say there was 10 on the list. Well, eight might be physical, but like you just explained, two might be um, related to, 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 your, to your psychology. Now, quite often this would sit outside my responsibility with the sports psychologist, but they would certainly give you clear direction about how to structure the session itself in terms of your communication, the language you used, and you know if the issue was a lack of confidence about loading the, the injured limb, you, you would certainly be trying to build up that athlete's confidence to, to use it. So like you said, they get back to play in the way that they played before, before injury. But it's, it's a big part of it. And you have to be super careful with the language you use. You know, if, you're, if you reference pain a lot, well, pain's gonna be at the forefront of their mind. And to break um, a cycle of pain, you have to, uh, uh, you, you can't think of it all the time. You have to think of uh, other things like how you're moving or, or the outcome of a skill you're trying to perform, et cetera. Yeah. And I can imagine the language, that's where the language of biomechanics does start to play into, to become more useful because you are talking in really specific terms about uh, mobility and about, and about flexibility and about strength in, in key muscles and bones and whatever that you can actually take it away from quite an emotive place and into something quite technical yeah yeah let's talk about what we're doing yeah rather than what we're feeling at that moment and you might see that transition through you know early stage rehab where it is a lot about how are you feeling is there pain through to later stage rehab where we're trying not to talk about it unless unless we have to, or we're choosing really specific times yeah. of the session to reference their athlete's pain yeah. or, or how they're feeling about things. Dan, if, um, if you are within a club, you're in a team and they're in the weight room, you know, and they're doing sessions with you, how do you create a kind of environment that is, you know, positive where everyone is kind of bought in to SNC? Um, they understand the values of it and they know that it can kind of help them on the court or in any sport it may be. Um, how do you create that kind of environment personally? Yeah, it's, it's tough. It goes back to what we talked about before that with any within any team, there's a group of individuals and trying to understand each person and each athlete as a person will help you structure the environment for them. You know, I've always tried to make the gym a place where athletes want to be and I try and do that by making it fun and also making it a place where they feel they're getting better at their sport you know you make it too fun and and of course maybe it's not a, a productive place anymore and if it's all about business well no one wants to be there because it's it's too boring so I try and strike that balance the whole time I try and give athletes autonomy in in what they do so it's not completely prescriptive even with junior athletes I seek out elements in the in the program where they can take ownership. So I might, you know, give a a general instruction where they might choose the exercise. So, you know, a young athlete might get to choose their core exercise, but I've decided they're doing core. Um, yeah, Dan, you know, I think ju just on that point, sorry to interrupt, but on that point there specifically, uh, it was really interesting when I came down to, to the school um, that you were working at and, and saw for my own eyes, you you work in inside the kind of weight room with um young people and it was great because i had a real kind of 
pre-thought that it would be, um, you know, you very prescriptive and every set and every rep and checking every single person's kind of, uh, you know, uh, postures and how they were doing each and every move, you know, especially when you think there are, there can be injuries, you know, within a, a weight room. And of course, you know, you have a very keen eye and everyone was in a very safe position. However, it was really cool to just see, you know, the, the workout on the board, you given a bit of information, stick a bit of music on and kind of off we go. And we're all kind of working. And that was really impressive for me, especially with young people, you know, elite performers. I could maybe expect that. But from a youth level, it was really surprising. It's a cool observation you had. And it works because the way I structured the session, it didn't uh, allow for much to go wrong. You right. know, the exercises I'd chosen and the equipment that I that they were using and the space they were in meant that whatever they did within the constraints of the session, it was going to go okay. Right. And you know, for listeners out there who, who know their weightlifting, let's say I was doing an Olympic snatch. Well, now you're de dealing with a six-foot barbell overhead that could fall and, and it's quite a technical lift and a lot could go wrong. And in that instance, in the session you saw, we didn't do that exercise. There was a lot of body weight exercises. We did right. squats with kettlebells at our chest where it's quite easy to hold and the weight was within their capacity. And yeah. because it was structured like that, like you saw, they could run with it. And that's so important because now they have ownership of an environment that I want them to fall in love with. You know, when we all started training, we loved it because we went to the gym on our own and we figured out what we were going to go, what we were going to do. And it must be the same with yeah. you have, you have, as well. You, you have know? to give them the opportunity to discover that thing that got, that gave us the juice in the first place as well, rather than telling them this is what I love doing. So you're going to love it as well. Right. And just, yeah, just guide them in the right direction, but then they run with it once they have enough understanding and, and knowledge of how to do it safely. So, Dan, talking about creating an environment in, in the gym um, and how important that is for the athletes to kind of get behind the program and understand its benefits. Um, how have you been doing that in isolation and in lockdown? Because, you know, obviously I follow the Pulse account and it looks like you've been having an absolute blast kind of uh, virtually. Um, and so I just want you to talk a little bit about that and how that's been going. Yeah, well, we, we thought it was really important to keep our training going for a number of reasons. You know, obviously, physically, we need to prepare for when the league starts again. Whenever that and might quite, be. <laughs> whenever it might be. And we don't know if it will start again. Uh, but when it does start again, there's probably going to be quite a short lead in to the first game, assuming it, it kicks off again this year. And with that, there's quite a high risk of injury for players who aren't physically prepared. Yeah. So from that perspective, at least, forget about performance. Pure safety. Correct. And within netball, you have quite serious lower limb injuries mm. that players are at risk of if they don't prepare. So we have to keep training. Also, you know, just in terms of the everyone's headspace during lockdown, we thought it was so important that everyone keeps this going. And we thought the best way to do that would be to meet every day. And so we meet every day at 10 a.m. And anyone who can make it online can. And of course, some people are still working in different roles. We have a nurse in our team who's, who's on the front line in the NHS. We also have students and uh, teachers all who can't make every session. But if you can make it, we're online together. Then in terms of the, the style of the workouts I've put together, I've looked for opportunities where we can compete against each other. You know, it's something fun that they can share the experience of doing as opposed to being quite 
bland and quite um what's the word quite clinical in terms of the right. the exercise prescription and sometimes performance snc can be quite clinical yeah so we got fun challenges that you know other snc coaches might turn their nose up to because it doesn't fit the traditional model but it engages them who who t- who came up with the fancy dress friday dan that's what i want to know i think i think that was the coach but there's a couple of players who this is the highlight of their week and, <laughs> but it, and the degree but, to which they're putting stuff together is remarkable. But Dan, just to go back a step then, because as I said, you know, that brought a smile, smile to my face, seeing that, um, you know, following uh, on Instagram and stuff, because as you said, we see this S&C sometimes as this super elite kind of, you know, very technical, uh, very academic kind of uh, area within sport. But if we strip that back and, and, and realize the current climate we're in, how can I get the best out of our players? And if that means stripping it down a little bit and keeping it fun, and then I have, you know, a whole team on a Zoom meeting, then surely we're winning. And so how did the conversations come up? Um, obviously, you don't have to go into details, but when you decided that you were going to you were going to try this, you know, even one starting at 10 a.m., you know, why not start at 7 a.m.? You know, why not start earlier? Because, you know, they're God all at damn home. sports coaches. Uh, no, <laughs> no. There's, a, there's a really obvious answer to this question, Sean. No, but, but, what, but what I mean is that sometimes people miss the mark on those types of questions and those types of things. So the fact that the fun element has been thought about you know, is that a team process, you know, within the, the club uh, and the coaching staff? Just how did the kind of Zoom meetings and going in every day, how was that agreed upon? Yeah, you know, with the with the fun element of it, you know, both myself and the head coach, we both, like I've talked about earlier, put athletes at the center of everything we do. And, and when you do that, you recognize people want to have fun. You know, we want to have fun ourselves as, as coaches. They want that too. So, that was always going to be there because that's kind of how we coach anyway. But it seems to be even more important in a remote environment. You know, the screen has the potential to be that bit more bland than when you're in the gym. And the athletes have to have a reason to get to that screen every day. And the feedback from them, is, as I think you, you've seen through Instagram and following it, is that it, it's fun and something everyone wants to be a part of. So that that was really the only way we could do it, you know, as, it, as, as with regards to 10 a.m., well, like you said, we don't want to wake up at seven, but we want to make this something we start our day with. I found with training, particularly if you've got other stuff going on, if you don't do it early, sometimes it can it can fall out the window. So let's get it done. Let's start our day right. You'll know working in education that there's lo- loads of side benefits to exercising early in the day in terms of getting your, your brain flowing and, and enhancing certain tasks you might be doing with the rest of your time. So I think it's fundamental we start our day with it. We have debated whether we should move it later in the day to support some of our workers who can't make those sessions, but since we can support the majority at 10, it seems to work really well starting the day for everyone. Yeah, I mean, just 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 to make my point, the 10 a.m. for me wasn't an early start, it was a good start because it's kind of realistic to how people would maybe want to start their day um, during a lockdown, you know, so again, it goes back to that kind of player centered approach. And the fact that you said that the head coach kind of wants to integrate fun, even within the, you know, the training sessions outside of SNC, I think you're kind of seeing the th- fruits of that labor kind of now on social media, etc. And through maybe these SNC sessions, because it's clearly not, not something 
if you didn't have fun within that environment before, now it would be very hard to just recreate that across the screen. So I think it's showing the culture of that we want to have a good time, but we want to work hard is almost coming through now, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's also responding to the players we have and the players we have want to have fun. No, all of them are, are fun people. Maybe it, another group would be a little bit more blinkered, like maybe with that example of swimmers and, and that type of personality who just wants to follow the line. Not yeah. saying that swimmers aren't fun, but if you had a group that just wanted to... <laughs> We're about to get a lot of you know, swimmer hate in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, they know it's not meant at all. But if you had a, a, a group of athletes from any sport who just wanted to get their head down and graft, well, maybe we would have built the sessions around that kind of feeling to it. And now that we're definitely getting the work in, don't get me wrong, these are tough sessions, but they're also a lot of fun as well. Yeah, it's worth uh, remembering, and I think a lot of people are discovering that the way in which we approach stuff that we assumed was going to be, uh, that we always assume that graft or uh, is the only way to approach it, that the light, the light touch is something I think that's come out of isolation, the kind of extra layer of care for well-being that everyone is kind of offering in their activities uh, is demonstrating itself to be a workable way to go. Like, would you go back to, let's say, would you include Fancy Dress Fridays in future in-person S&C training? Well, I'll ask that question directly. Well, one of the problems is I need to get involved as well. So, you know, <laughs> commuting to the gym yeah. we train at in fancy yeah. dress is, is something I would avoid at all costs. I'm the uh, kind of guy I get invited to fancy dress. I'm not going to the party, you know. <laughs> but maybe there uh, is a benefit in the tone. Maybe is there, there's a there's a identified through this process, you know, where you said injury is an opportunity or injury. Was it injury is an opportunity? Yeah. Like, yeah. Lockdown has offered the same opportunity to shift mindset a little bit and sounds like for you guys made for some interesting discoveries in how you like to train as a group and the big one is using technology like like zoom and facetime to run these sessions you know, previously coaches had suggested when an athlete couldn't make the gym that i should put you know a camera in the gym and, and coach them online and i always said no i never thought it would work I never even tried it and that's my mistake and now we've done it and there's so many great things to it you know and getting back commuting time from our players yeah you know in elite sport you're pooling from a pretty big region and not everyone lives local to the training center some of our athletes are commuting two and a half hours each way to training and we have that time now back to train and we're talking about how we can use video technology to train outside of lockdown yeah. to save athlete time and get more get more work done. We also train a lot of young players yeah. who are dependent on their parents bringing them to training. And if we can save them and their family some time, that's also really powerful. And do you imagine as someone who's worked in some heavy or heavily funded organized sports, do you think there's room for like the provision of equipment to for these teams can you see a situation where Team GB is sending like home gym equipment to make sure that it's doable so that they can broaden out this training to, to homework? Yeah, well, if you if you follow some of our, our best athletes in the Team GB network, you'll see that's been done already. Yeah. They had their, 
what would you call it their um uh their emergency delivery of of weights oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right and you could put together you know a fairly low cost option for all athletes to have you know maybe it's a kettlebell a barbell yeah. a weight plate and a med ball and this is just what this is what you get when you get your first cap or your first call into the team and i think what a lot of athletes like, a, like a care realizing yeah. a care package yeah that's the word i was looking for you probably wouldn't want to drop it from a helicopter like <laughs> no <Not> with kettlebells <laughs> getting <isn't> flattered. <laughs> um, but i think what a lot of athletes and coaches were all enjoying is going back to basics with minimal equipment and the tendency for a lot of coaches myself included is to go to the fancy elite shiny exercises all the time and negate some of the basics you know every athlete probably should be able to do 10 push-ups and if your athlete can't do that you probably didn't need to progress to that more advanced you know upper body pushing exercise well out of lockdown most athletes should be able to do 10 push-ups because that's all you can do and you know you can extrapolate that further with some other simple equipment and exercises. And I think a lot of athletes will come out in a great position because of embedding these fundamentals to their preparation. There's something beautifully accessible about it as well. There's the potential for, particularly with the sharing of programs, you know, something as as straightforward as, as you know, Joe Wicks doing PE, but versions of that that are geared more towards performance athletics, that the, I'm, my audience or my, my participants I'm expecting to have zero equipment means accessibility to whoever. You don't have to be the the kid that you know got funded on the youth team and then has been you know you can you can be someone who's you know doing anything body weight, but an opportunity yeah. to get noticed or to get the kind of level of training that these athletes are getting without having to have a fancy gym membership, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I, I kind of love that about, about refactoring the way that you guys are working to make sure that you can cater for everyone wherever they and you, are. And you should be able to train anywhere. Yeah. A good athlete should be able to be on holiday or arrive at a new team and the gym isn't quite right and be able to train. And, I've seen Rocky know, IV. Be... I've seen the montage where he runs up the side of a mountain in <laughs> Russia. <laughs> well, it, it, it's a... I know you say it's like Jess, but it's a great example. As coaches coming into sport, we all have a bit of that Rocky inside of us. That's what inspired us. But not every athlete has that Rocky four inside of them. But I think coming out of this, everyone might have a little bit more. And people are looking around their living room and saying, what equipment do I have? What can I do with that chair and that bench? And, you know, we've we've made use of that idea with, with Pulse at the moment. And I challenge each week the, the players to build a new piece of equipment you'll be familiar with what a trx is very cool and for yes. those who aren't you it's a suspension trainer you hang off things and do pulling movements and players have been building them out of old handbags and tights and car straps and things like that and i did I see that i did see that online dan that was very uh uh in ingenuitive is that a word <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah very much so i was really impressed by that it was great um, I have a question about the, this is lockdown specific, but from, with your background uh, in biomechanics, which I think was one of, one of your degrees was biomechanics. Um, are you encountering lockdown specific kind of physical patterns or stuff that you're needing to work with? I say this as someone who's sat at a desk in my house 
for about 10 hours every day and I feel in bits, is that having a knock-on effect in the training? Yeah, great question. The, the biggest issue I'm seeing is that athletes are going straight from being sat at their desk to training two minutes later, yeah. even 30 seconds yeah. later. Now, there's something to commuting to training in terms of, you know, even getting in and out of your car that acts as a bit of a warm-up. And of course, the car brings problems to it as well. Yeah. But most athletes, you know, particularly with the group I'm working with, commute to training on the, on the bus and, and they're walking to the gym, even just in terms of the headspace that they're, they're preparing for the session with, with that time. But right now they're going straight from uni, straight from the desk to outside, and that's compounding a few problems. The seated posture, as you know, is kind of the opposite to the posture you look for in sports. You have shortened hip flexors, you had rounded lumbar spine, you have shortened hamstrings and you have shortened calves. You I, feel like you're calling me out, I feel like you're calling me out. Oh, we're calling all, our, all, all of ourselves out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, um, Mark, we usually ask about um, kind of influences to yourself as a coach, you know, because... Yeah, we yeah. say co coaches make coaches quite a lot. Based on that, I mean, just going back into your kind of experience uh, of growing up and then, you know, doing your athletics, etc., and then becoming an S&C coach... Kind of, has there been any kind of influences on you that have kind of molded the sort of coach that you are today? It was a question I never answered before. It's a really good one. Um, my, my first mentor was a guy called Matt Critz, and I arrived in New Zealand at 23, 24 years old, thinking I knew a lot more about training than I did. And, you know, he certainly guided me in those early stages of my career and, and I continued to go back to him for advice. His advice is um, the main things he instilled in me was an appreciation of movement. And then if you're not moving well, that's a bad foundation to build strength and power and fitness on top of. And he also got me to understand that, you know, an athlete is at the center of everything we do, like we've talked about earlier, and that having a a generic prescription that you just give out to everyone. That's not the way to go. It's about understanding you know, them as a person, but them as an athlete and physically understanding where the program needs to go. And though two athletes are in the same sport, they might need very different physical qualities. Uh, so Matt was a huge influence on me. And then I've been lucky and to have trained in lots of different groups myself as, a, as an amateur athlete. And I've always tried to reflect on the on each environment and what I loved about that environment and try to recreate some element of that for those I'm working with. And again, try and pick which part of which environment suits different people. And I've had too many great coaches to name myself, but they've all uh, left an impression on me. And I don't think you need to have been an athlete to be a coach, but certainly having trained and, and been through it yourself is a great teacher that that helps you uh, when you want to get into coaching and teaching yourself perfect thank you dan going back to the kind of culture again and that kind of team values and teamwork which you know is the is the kind of meat of of the podcast um when we look at togetherness a lot of the times people can feel that it's kind of assumed yeah that everyone's going to show up and automatically buy in to yeah the team mentality just because they've signed up for the team and actually 
uh, that's something that needs to be developed and worked on possibly early doors how do you do that yeah it's definitely not a given that athletes just by the nature of being athletes and in a team they have that togetherness quality whatever that is so it's definitely something that either uh, you know it has to be worked you know sometimes you'll be lucky and it just happens organically with the chemistry of everyone but um, like I mentioned earlier at the beginning finding a way to explain the purpose of the team through a story or, or drawing out uh, analogies analogies that resonate with the the people involved and the same analogy won't work for for every team and the same story won't work uh, for every team I think it has to you know it has to be worked in a way that's more than just writing the values of the team and the purpose of the team on the wall because right. every team's yeah. doing that and exactly. again like I mentioned at the beginning of the of the podcast, I've been to presentations where a coach has talked about all the great things they did, which led to them winning. But what about the teams that lost? I'm sure they did those great things, too. really <laughs> right. s- similar things yeah, too, right? right? <laughs> We're True. all talking about teamwork and hard work and, and purpose. So I think it comes down to, you know, really discrete things you're trying to do to solve a particular problem for that group in question. So let's say, you know, we talked about fun earlier. Let's say you thought that fun was something that's important for bringing the group together and the group wasn't too fun. Well, maybe it's fancy dress Friday for this team, but for another team, it's not because yeah. they don't need that strategy. That you're, actually at odd, you're actually at odds with the togetherness by trying to enforce, a, you know, taking everyone out on a social uh, is not necessarily the best way to get them interacting or building the team spirit, even though it's kind of, you know, the the staff bowling trip as an example might be what right. you'd expect to suddenly make everyone mates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But maybe for another team it is. Maybe you do all the um, the typical togetherness building and team building stuff for one team, but all they need is a night out together yeah. to get to know each other. It's something that I've found as a teacher uh during lockdown actually some of the the ways the modes of interacting that this has enforced uh our expectation walking in was that we were going to be limited and actually for some of the students this they've flourished under this because it's what makes them more them and i think team identity is about working out what makes us us and that's a that is a cocktail just to bring it back to bartending that is that is that is tasting the cocktail and working out what what what's good together yeah it's it's another it's another area to problem solve right please please come back uh to next week's episode where we discuss more cocktail making with sean who only drinks lager and me who's teetotal (laughs) (laughs) exactly we are connoisseurs um amazing amazing Thank you so much, Dan, for for jumping on. And we we're in early days on the podcast, so we keep asking people. When we've got more people listening, please come back, and we will pick it up where we left off, because it sounds like you're doing incredible work at the moment. And that as that moves into whatever the future is going to be, the the lessons that we're learning right now, put into practice in training training sessions in the future, is going to be super interesting to hear about. Guys, thanks so much for having me. I hope everyone enjoyed and we added some value, but it's been fun and good to connect with people during this time of isolation as well. Dan, thank you so much. Before we leave you, Dan, is there anything you want to uh, let listeners know about? Anything you want to plug? uh, Things you're involved in at the moment? 
yeah, no plugs, but feel free to get in contact with me. You can find me on Twitter under my name. That's Daniel Laverpour. And then you can also find me on, find me under my business, which is Performance Ready, but it's spelled on Twitter, Performance, and then RDY. Amazing. So, uh, yeah, hit them up if you've got anything strength and conditioning related or you've got any sports science questions. I'm sure, I'm sure the connections are, are ready to be made. So thank you so much for coming on. Guys, thanks so much for having me. It was fun. And please invite me again. It was great to talk to you guys. Dan, thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. Anytime, anytime. Cheers. Stay well. So that was superb. Uh, Daniel Laverpour there just being a bit of a, a bit of a genius covering so much ground there uh, strength and conditioning biomechanics um, but also really getting into it on kind of the the human element of training I think that was one of the most uh, kind of insightful parts for me uh, and the most interesting parts for me there Mark uh, just looking at that human level as you said you know we can be very very academic uh, and specific with um, our training across multiple kind of disciplines uh, whether it be strength and conditioning or sports coaching or even in the business world and in education yeah in any, in any of it you can you can yeah. have your your rigor in your training but at the end of the day we're always going to be dealing with people exactly you know exactly and so i think for for the audience for those listening um hopefully it will be encouraging to know that someone at such an elite level still has uh the kind of human uh and that kind of soft uh, soft skills that is needed uh to work with individuals and i think that's why he's been so successful um and i'm sure will continue to to be so yeah it, it really you know i don't want to harp onto it but it kind of it kind of took me by surprise when i was talking to him. i really didn't expect him to feel like uh, like a psychologist or like a like a like a, a therapist or some he had a real kind of empathy to him that you could see was the root the foundation of his coaching definitely you know 100 percent uh and i think he brings that into the into the weight room uh every session or even the virtual room as uh, as was discussed um yeah. during the during the podcast was which was really phenomenal. fun as well yeah so we don't have any uh hip-hop medley to play out underneath us today we've already lost some listeners mark <laughs> but they'll come back when they hear that next week uh, we are keeping it sport related and we're going to be joined by uh, Cara McCartney who is a director of netball so a real high level uh, coach of netball uh, to talk to us about the various contexts in which she coaches really looking forward to speaking to Cara um, as you said really high level um, coach a huge amount of experience um, and uh, I'm sure that our audience will get a lot out of this episode so keep your ears peeled for that for now remember if you wanted to request a guest or get in touch or give us a comment uh, you can uh at us on Instagram or Twitter at noipodcast or you can email Sean or Mark at noipodcast.show 
you can leave us a voice message on Anchor. You can leave, uh, I think you can leave reviews now on things like iTunes, which would be amazing. Or just, uh, you know, pat us, on, pat us on the back when you see us in the street when lockdown is over. We're getting there slowly but surely. Uh, so thank you everyone for listening. Uh, it's goodbye from Sean. Goodbye, guys. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. You must be like the wolf pack. Teamwork. Yes. <laughs>